The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I've attempted to turn up my microphone in the interim, hoping that I'm now more easily heard. I'm also pulling the screen close. Is, is the, this, you know, it's hard to believe it's not purposeful. This loading on of contrasts or tensions in this section, and some of them have just been pointed to by but this great teacher dying a very, a very humble and very human um, death, the, the, when he most needs care, that he is caring for Ananda, essentially. Um, and we, we could go on, but we'd love to, we'd like to break up into breakout rooms and spend just about 10 minutes asking you to, to talk a little bit of, about two things, uh, two, two levels of this. What is the function of these sorts of contrasts in this section of the text? And how are you affected um, emotionally by these sorts of these contrasts? And um, one of them sort of an <clears throat> intellectual or cognitive question, and maybe the other is a little bit more emotional. And you don't have to keep track of both of them, but just, just talk about uh, this. Again, we, we remind you to, that this is an exercise largely, or it's useful to think about um, this as an exercise of listening, um, listening to what others add, and perhaps just not saying everything you, you could say uh, about uh, the points you make, but just dropping one thing into the discussion and let others go around. And again, you might start with um, whoever birthday was first. Uh, that way, it's easy to start. And then uh, finally, you could, you could choose either one of these two questions um, in, in thinking about what you add to the mix. So if David is ready and has prepared the breakout rooms, we'll uh, pass you to them now and see you back in about 10 minutes. Enjoy. Let me just, um, let's, let's, let me just ask if there are reflections from what came up, particularly on sort of what moves you in this and, and why, you know? The relationship sometimes between the rhetorical devices and uh, what we feel is important in the suttas, whether it's the repetition of the language or particular contrast or tensions like the one Diana pointed out. And let me ask again, just because we have, you know, it's part of, it's a reflection of the success of the study and practice courses that we offer through the Sati Center, that we have multiple screens, making it hard to see hands wave. So if, if you'd like to contribute something, just click that wherever you find it, the blue hand, the other hands, um, and let us know that you'd like to ask a question or make an observation, reflect, share. The floor is open, the mic is open. Any thoughts, observations? Yeah, Uri, Uri. Or I guess, uh, let me go in strict order. They appeared almost simultaneously. Uri, go ahead. You've unmuted, and then we'll go to Adi. <laughs> Sorry if I'm taking uh, someone else's place in line. No, no. <laughs> I just wanted to share something that I found very beautiful that somebody else in our group said, um, which was about the sentence where he tells Ananda, I've taught you everything. There's nothing left. And about how that shows that he had um, a full life and he has no regrets. He's done everything he came to do. And how much that helps him die more peacefully. I think that was, that was something I didn't think about. It was a very beautiful way of looking at it. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. 
Lovely. It is beautiful indeed. Yeah. Nothing held back. Everything given. Thank you. Aditi. Yeah. Um, so someone in our group pointed out that uh, in another sutta, uh, Buddha tells Ananda that the Sangha is everything. It's all of the practice. And here in the sutta, he talks about like being an island unto yourself. So I think um, he brought out that point and, uh, you know, it, it sparked a question in me because often when I'm having animosity towards people, I'm like, oh, I'm being an island. And when I'm feeling love, I'm like Sangha. So like, how do we fold this into our practice? Thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting observation that we, and we were just talking about this in the teacher's breakout room, just how, how open these texts are, how, how they invite us really to engage with them and bring them, make them, bring them into our practice and make the practice our own in that way. And uh, yeah, here we hear that you're, one's an island. We also hear, as in Diana, just, she just said that the teachings are everything. And elsewhere we hear, as you point out, right, that the Sangha is all of this, this spiritual practice. And so sets up an interesting relationship between the, these three jewels, these three gems, the triple gem of the practice. Anyway, nicely pointed out. I don't know if any of the other teachers want to say anything. I like that maybe this doesn't have an answer, but maybe, Kim, are you unmuted? I can't see. Okay. Well, I, I don't know. Should I add something here? But um, sure. in that sutta, well, there's a number of suttas, right? But what he says um, to Ananda, that uh, the whole of the holy life is uh, spiritual friends. And then, um, I can't remember, I think it's in that same sutta, he goes on to say, because when you have good spiritual friends, you are more likely to practice the Eightfold Path, I believe, I think is what's specifically there. So it's a support for practice. And so that's the same thing. It's kind of what's being pointed out here as to be an island is the, you know, to practice. And this is kind of what was in that last few passages that I read to you, is a, that emphasis. So thank you, Aditi. I appreciate this very much. Yeah, thanks. Randy. I just wanted to briefly say that um, I am especially inspired by the modern, very recent, or in the past few centuries, occurrence of these kinds of events of a kind of miraculous apparent ascension or disappearance of the body, um, some kind of spectacular change of the body that happens to adepts when they die and especially very accomplished adepts and so that that is very inspiring to me and makes me um just take this at face value that these celestial events occur that flowers um uh, miraculously bloom, that rainbows appear in the sky, that uh, unusual weather events happen, and, and music just appears from nowhere. These kinds of events are, are um, 
are recorded and 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 witnessed. So I'm uh, I'm all in. <laughs> <laughs> You're all in. Yeah, and that's beautiful. You said it so beautifully, Randy. Really appreciated that. And I would say too, we we can and do, particularly you know in this kind of course, treat this as as a literary text, and thus these can be seen also as metaphors. And they add to and they intensify some of the contrasts that Diana brought our attention to. What we have, you know, is quite a human and humble and humbling situation. And yet we know this is a special teacher and these are special teachings. Right. So, Yankui, uh, I think we have time for one more question, maybe two. Anybody else wants to raise a hand, but Yankui. Just what you said, I think it read those as happy joy and happiness in the moment of death and just, yeah. just glorious. And, um, but I wanted to say, you know, I appreciated my small group. We talked about how the Buddha was really exemplar of his actions, of what his teachings, he's sort of like the model basically from the beginning to the very end. And so, you know, he's the heir, we're all the heir of our actions and it came up really true. And the other thing that didn't get mentioned that came up afterwards, I was thinking about fear like there was no fear in Buddha toward the, like that is the tea. That is so beautiful <laughs> to meet his illness, to meet death, non-fear. And um, whereas yeah. Ananda was still like, ah, oh, you know, clinging, la, da, da, and like, that's it's just so inspiring. Yeah. Lovely. And you point out another contrast that I hadn't seen previously, right? Um, the different attitude toward fear, Ananda's fear and Buddha's, complete apparent lack of fear. So nice. We can, there's a lot more here than we've, you know, opened to. So, and finally, Yanli, uh, yeah, one last question, and then we'll go to a guided meditation. Um, I was sharing my small group, um, how moved I, I am reading the interaction between the Buddha and Ananda. Um, um, yeah, um, and I have a question, um, not, uh, the, it's not a, uh, aimed to excerpt, uh, I read the whole sutta, and it was, um, yeah, it was puzzling for me, I think before this chapter, there was one chapter, uh, also the interaction between the Buddha and the Nanda, uh, quite quite long uh, about uh, Ananda didn't ask Buddha to stay, and I'm just puzzled. Like, what is the point or purpose of that entire chapter? <laughs> you know, that's that's a great question. I I think it would take a long time to address it right now. And I'm thinking maybe we should go to the guided meditation and hold that for the very end. We have, we have just a few minutes at the end where we could also uh, address that. Does that make sense to the other teachers? Shall we do that? Uh, Diana is to on Just you. speak maybe 30 seconds on this. Okay. Can I say? Go for it. But um, there's a, a number of people, scholars and practitioners have noticed this, like, wait, what? And we're pointing to something that wasn't assigned in the reading, so not everybody knows this. And I'll just say um, one interpretation is that there's that 
business about Ananda was inserted later by those uh, factions that uh, wanted to say there was somebody more senior, more important than Ananda, specifically Kasapa. So there's, we're starting to see some tensions already within the uh, monastic community when these teachings get preserved. That's one interpretation. So let's let that rest there for the moment uh, and, and ask Ying if she'll bring some of, the, some of this into a guided meditation for us.